This is Derek Favors. You're listening to Drive Time Sports with Jordan Buscarini. Three-point game. Harris. Pick and roll. Favors takes a strong and one. Oh, my. Watch Derek Favors take a leap right here. We're back on Drive Time Sports, live from the Auto Farm Studios, right here on 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. We got to talk NBA basketball. Last night, the Utah Jazz, they were back here on KOAL, their third game of the NBA restart in Orlando. It did not end well for Utah, 116-108 win for the Lakers. I've said this a million times on the show. I'm going to go back to it. That is a horrible, horrible matchup for the Jazz, especially without Boyan Bogdanovich. If those two teams play 10 times, the Lakers will win nine. That's just the way it works. I actually thought Utah did some decent things in this game. Again, it's just a bad matchup. We'll talk about that and more right now with our next guest, Jamison Welsh. He's our Drive Time Sports NBA analyst. Jamison, as always, a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, not a problem at all. Thanks for having me as always. Definitely appreciate it. Let's start by talking about last night's game. The Jazz get the Lakers, and to me it's a good gauge to see where the Jazz are at as we get down to the final five, four, five seeding games. It's a good gauge for this squad. And I really thought the Jazz did some things very well early on. For instance, Rudy Gobert had a little bit of success against Anthony Davis in about the first five minutes of the game. One of the aspects that I thought was extremely interesting, the Lakers made it a point to go at Rudy Gobert. Anthony Davis was extremely aggressive early on in this contest, and despite the fact that Gobert had some early success, Davis still shoots about 50% from the field. He finishes with 42 points, 12 boards, and a block to go along with the stat line. He's just a different cat in comparison to Rudy Gobert, and it's part of the reason why this is an awful matchup for this Jazz squad. Yeah, um, it's one of those situations where uh, matchup styles make fights, and the Jazz are in a situation where they don't have enough firepower or the right roster to really deal with the Lakers. I mean, that's one of those things where, I mean, they might get swept if they play in the series. That's just how it, just how it goes. Uh, but the Jazz have a weird roster. I mean, one of the things that people don't talk about enough is Mike Conley was thought to be the, uh, the you know, the f- final piece of the puzzle to get the Jazz over the top or put them in position to take a 10. And that has not happened. Like, they really needed Mike Conley to be an all-star type guy or be at that kind of level, and that is nowhere near. And that's been a big issue. Yeah, okay, so let, let's talk about Mike Conley for a moment. Tell me if I'm off here on my assessment. When Mike Conley was, men- was with the Memphis Grizzlies, they were a fun story. They took a couple of teams to the brink. They may sneak up and win a series from time to time. They were a fun team. They give Mike Conley this massive, massive deal. If I'm not mistaken, at the time, it was the second biggest deal in NBA history, if memory serves me right. And no one really gave it a second thought because the Grizzlies were the Grizzlies. We knew what to expect from this quote-unquote blue-collar team, right? Well, then a squad who has had some success, similar success to Memphis, acquires Mike Conley and the expectations mixed with the dollar amount that he uses against the cap hits, and we're seeing what Mike Conley is. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, so here's the thing. When it comes to the cap and everything like that, everything is relative to your situation. So if you're about to, if you're trying to contend, I don't think you should worry about the cap so much. But, you know, if you're, you know, if you're like a team, or sorry, 
if you're a team that's rebuilding, you should consider a, a you know, I don't want to pay luxury tax, et cetera, et cetera. If you're trying to win and you're trying to get to the next level, you got to go for it. In this NBA, we see how the league changes pretty much every year. Like, the league is different every every year. Every year is different. Like, the way the game is played, the things the things that are trendy, all that stuff. So, to to me, it's like I get where people come from, uh, come from, but on like a one or two-year situation, I think you always go for it. So I don't think of the cap and the value of contracts that are short-term and that great of a deal. Again, Jamison Welsh, our guest right now, as we talk about the NBA. Last night, the Utah Jazz dipping to 1-2 and two in the restart. And as far as the seeding goes, and we'll get into that in just a moment, I really don't worry about it as much for the Jazz. We now know the Lakers are the number one seed in the Western Conference. Uh, that, that's the important aspect for me, Jamison. I said this on the show yesterday. If you're number one, you're fine, because you get eight in the first round, you're going to get four or five in the second. Outside of that, two, three, six, seven. To me, it's almost irrelevant uh, because you're going to be going toe-to-toe against those same three opponents, four opponents, and there's no home court advantage. So once you get past the one seed, I really don't care much about the seeding. That's what I would try uh, That's what I would try to push to Jazz fans, I guess, to, to somewhat comfort them if they're a little bit blue after last night or with the one and two start. Uh, the Jazz are, I mean, they, there's certain matches they want to avoid. I mean, they'd probably... I mean, they're going to lose to either L.A. team, but they'd probably better be better off facing the Clippers and the Lakers if they had to make a choice. Now, there's a team that they may be able to beat, which is probably Denver, because uh, Denver has a lot of injuries, and we don't know what their roster is going to be like. So that's a team that, you know, Denver just has so much in flux. Like, we just don't know what their situation is and whatnot. So Denver's a team they can match up against well. They can do some things against. Um I wouldn't favor them in a series with, but that's a team that they can play against. I think OKC is is a better team overall. Uh, I also think Houston's a better team. So it really just comes down to who they think is their best matchup and go from there. Now, when the Jazz are playing really good defense and their defense creates offense, I think they're in good shape. However, um, it's tough in the playoffs because in the playoffs, your biggest weaknesses get magnified. And I just personally don't know how – Rudy Gobert can stay on the court versus the team that runs pick and roll very well. That I don't know. So we're going to see. You know, we're we're going to see what happens. We're going to see the situation. I'm I'm very curious how the seedings do match up because I, I'm a believer that somebody out that three through seven, you know, lane is going to be is going to upset somebody. I don't know who, don't know how, but there's going to be upset somewhere on that side of the bracket. Well, and as far as the the three through seven, I mean, we had a game yesterday where the Nuggets uh, had a great comeback, topped the Oklahoma City Thunder late in that contest going into overtime. That's important because Denver's now just a game and a half back of the Clippers, right? And so we talk three through seven. It's not that it's a foregone conclusion that the Clippers are going to be number two, and that changes things drastically. If you go from two to three, to me, it is a big difference because, again, four, five, and six, Jamison, it's hard to predict right now because these are squads that are going up against each other, and literally a game is separating them. So these seeding games are different than anything that we've seen, these close races. It's hard to predict. Two to three is an important aspect, though, in my mind, based on the fact that you may very easily draw Dallas compared to getting Houston. I mean, that, that's not out of the realm of possible. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm, like, I'm the Clippers. I would not want to face Houston. Uh, I mean, Houston, I mean, they are a very unique squad. They're a squad that can knock you out because of the style they play. Now, they're also a squad where they got swept. It wouldn't surprise anyone either. But, um, you know, I would try to avoid Houston in the first round. 
Um, but also there's, you know, there's so many things going on. Uh, you know, I had the pleasure of speaking with multiple people around the league over the last week or so, and they're all saying that the, th- the one good thing about the bubble is that these guys are more focused than ever before because you can't go to clubs. You know, you, you got to stay in. You got to, you know, go to sleep at a certain time. So it's not like you're out going to clubs and partying. You know, you're literally focused at day in, day out. So we're going to see some really good basketball here. Uh, but the seedings are definitely going to matter. And once they break down, I, I personally believe if there's a side of the bracket that has, like, the, um, the OKC, Dallas, uh, or Utah, like if any of those teams are on the same side of the bracket, whoever the number one or whoever the top two seeds are, whether it's Lakers side of the bracket or Clippers side of the bracket, whoever has more of those teams on the side of it has an easy way because those teams you basically have a, a free pass to the conference finals. As good as those teams have been this season, they're just a few steps below what the other teams are, and that's just kind of what it is. Let's move on and talk about another team of the Western Conference that, uh, well, they have a little bit of ground to make up, but they finally logged a victory. That was the New Orleans Pelicans. Last night was monumental for this team. I mean, this was a squad that looked just dead in the water after their second game. They were horrible against the Clippers. Last night, they pick up a win against the Grizzlies. Memphis had an opportunity to not necessarily deliver a knockout punch, but I think it would have been as close as possible to knocking off a team, knocking out a team in this bubble, had New Orleans lost that game last night. We saw Zion late. Uh, I don't know if that was necessary the factor. I think 8, 9, 10, 11, if you look at the Western Conference, these teams are very close, uh, close-knit with one another. But it was nice to see Zion get some minutes late, New Orleans finally picking up a win in the bubble. Yeah, the problem with the Pelicans is this. Uh, they have some really good talent, as we know, following the Lakers for a long time. They have three guys that are really skilled basketball players. However, uh, the biggest issue here is this. The biggest issue is Zion is going to have to either get in shape or they're going to have to use him differently because Brandon Ingram is the best player on that team right now. Like I understand Zion's potential. Drew Holiday is a very good player, but Brandon Ingram's their best player, and they need to go through him more. He's a guy that can score at will. He can score at any time, and they don't treat him as such. He goes long stretches without scoring the basketball, without even getting touches. And that's just not right. A guy that's averaging 24, 25 points a night, you go to that guy. I put, put it this way. The Suns have Devin Booker that averages right around, I believe, 27 a night. He's the offense. They go through him all the time. Like the, the Pelicans go through stretches without utilizing Brandon Ingram and the advantages he has, and it's mind-boggling to me. But also at the same time, there's a lot of different things going on with the Pelicans. It seems like there's some organizational stuff that we don't know about because before he left the bubble – there was no issues or there was no words about him being out of shape or anything of that nature. There was nothing like that. Like, hey, all systems go, he's cool. He leaves the bubble for four to five days. Now he's severely out of shape. Something doesn't add up here. I hope we get to the bottom of it, but a lot doesn't add up here in my eyes. Let's move on to the Eastern Conference. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. It's really hard to gauge where this team is at. I mean, Giannis only plays 16 minutes today in a loss to the Brooklyn Nets. Chris Middleton only plays 16 minutes in a loss today. Eric Bledsoe plays 18. So uh, there are variables. You can't just look at the score or pick up a box score and say, oh my goodness, what happened here? There are variables to consider. Yet, with that same token, there's a lot of guys on this team that are receiving time that I don't believe are going to receive time once we get to the playoffs. Still, Jameson, part of the worry for the Bucks, it is what they are doing 
doing defensively. Even with Giannis only playing 16 and Middleton not playing sufficient minutes and the starting five really only being out for about 20 minutes in this contest, they gave up a 40 spot to Brooklyn in the first quarter. That worries me a little bit. You go back to a loss against the Houston Rockets. There were three quarters in that contest where they gave up 30-plus to the Rockets. These are things that you can't ignore, regardless of the amount of time that Giannis is out on the court. This is the only concern I really have with this Milwaukee Buck team, that they have a problem defending the opposition. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Nets, I mean, they're in the bubble. You know, they, they, had a, they were, I believe, the eighth spot out east. Uh, they're in the bubble, however, however, they have no business being there. None. Like, and I'm glad Jamal Crawford played today. I know he got hurt. He banged up his hamstring. Hopefully he's fine going forward. But that's not a, you know, that's a damn near Jubilee team. Uh, so for the Bucks to struggle against them and to not really put them away or take them seriously is a bit concerning. Uh, however, I'd rather take the field out east over Milwaukee. I really would. I just don't trust the Bucks. Like, there's just not enough guys on that roster I really, truly trust. When I look at everything, when I look at uh, all the players on the roster, when I look at all the situations, man, I just don't trust guys like a Eric Bledsoe. I like Chris Middleton's game, but if, if he's my number one playmaker on the wing, I have my concerns. I have my doubts. Yeah, especially when I look at a team like the Raptors, who look very good defensively, right? And that's that's one of the reasons why I've been in love with this Raptor team for most of the season. I love what they can do on the defensive end of the ball. The fact is they held LeBron James and Anthony Davis to under 100 points. Uh, they topped the Miami Heat, a team that could give some teams some fits. When I look at the, these two squads and you talk about this trust factor, I don't know if it's Nick Nurse on the sidelines. I don't know what it is. Uh, but, Jameson, I trust Toronto a whole hell of a lot more than I trust Milwaukee. I just do. So the issue I have with Toronto is this. Who is the guy that's going to take big shots for them? Who's going to be the go-to guy? They have a lot of really good players, but they don't have that one guy that can consistently make plays. Um, I like Siakam, but he's not a guy I trust in an ISO set or a guy I trust with the game on the line or if I need to, a guy to carry me for four minutes. I don't think he's that guy. Kyle Lowry, I don't want him being the guy either. So they have some doubts and concerns, but as a team, they play very hard. So in the regular season, it makes it look like, oh, they're, they they want it more than you. But in the playoffs, everyone plays hard. So you don't have that same advantage in the playoffs. So I'm going to be very curious to see who's going to be their go-to guy. Is it going to be Van Vliet? You know, I, that I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. Because last year they had Kawhi to take over and take all those pressure moments uh, you know, away from everyone else. Who is that guy this year? That's their biggest question. But I, like I said, I take the field. I take Toronto, Miami, uh, Boston, without Kevin being 100%, I don't know. But I'd rather take the field than the Bucks in the out east. We'll end with this. Let's talk about the Lakers. Last night, they clinched the number one seed in the Western Conference. The last time the Lakers clinched the one seed in the Western Conference, uh, I believe it was 2010, if I'm not mistaken, when the Lakers won an NBA championship. Uh, they get the best of the uh, the Boston Celtics. It just so happens that uh, the first time Kobe won a championship without Dwight Howard, or excuse me, without Shaq, it was uh, against Dwight Howard in Orlando. The Lakers are back in Orlando. Everything seems to be aligning. Jamison, are they your odds-on favorite now that we've seen three games in the bubble? I mean, I'll put it this way. First and foremost, the Western Conference Championship trophy 
at the end of the Western Conference Finals should be named after a Laker or the Lakers, first and foremost, because they've, they've won it so many times. Like They've come out the conference so many times since the league has been an exception. However, uh, you know, this team this, this year, they have a very unique bunch this year. They have a very, very unique team. They're carried by two guys, and they have a lot of role players that you really don't know what you're going to get from game to game. There's not that consistent third guy. You know what I mean? There's not that third guy that you know you're getting. You know what I mean? You know, yep. hey, that guy's yep. getting you 17 tonight. Yep. No, one night could be Waiters. Next night could be Kuzma. You don't know. However, the one thing that I like their chances over most is that their, their defense can really get very stifling for five to seven minutes at a time. And that, to me, is where championships are won because scoring is scoring. You're not going to be able to shut down a team the whole game. It doesn't happen anymore. The rules are the rules changes to just avoid that. However, uh, when you look at it like this, Jordan, you you stop teams, make things difficult on teams in spurts. So if you can hold somebody to under ten points for a seven minute stretch, you're in good shape. And that's the thing they did last night. I think they shut Utah down for like five minutes of game time. And when you do that, you're going to win games. I mean, that's just how it goes. And that's their biggest strength is their defense. And when they have Anthony Davis at the five, they have some lineups that are just unbeatable. Jamison Welsh, again, our NBA analyst. Jamison, before I let you go, please let the listeners know where they can find more of you. Uh, ESPN 1100, also basketballnews.com, uh, also Kadon 720 out here in Vegas, and Fox Sports, Fox Sports 1340, then ESPN 1480 as well. Jameson, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate the time joining us on a Tuesday instead of the typical Monday. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Let's break for just a moment. More Drive Time Sports coming up when we return. Again, we are live from the Auto Farm Studios.